0: going to be in Proverbs 7, verse 10. And behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens from Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with mirth, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her like an ox, goes to the slaughter or one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life now therefore my son listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth do not let your heart be turned aside to her ways do not stray into her path for many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain her house is the way of sheol descending to the chambers of death.
1: Thank you, Chad. Um, Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, you are holy. You are without sin. You have made yourself set apart from wickedness and fallenness and brokenness. And God, in that you are worthy of our worship. And so, God, I pray that we would humble ourselves tonight to worship you with the way that we live, um, specifically as it pertains to uh, the way we use our bodies. That God, even our bodies and what we do with them would be seen as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and our spiritual worship. So God, I pray that you would strengthen us to hear what you have to say from your word tonight as we continue our series through 1 Corinthians and seeing what it looks like to flee from sexual immorality. God, knowing that if we don't flee, but if we are lured into uh, temptation, um, that God, it will mean our death. Lord God, we know all sin leads to death, and death is the punishment for all sin. Um, but Lord, you, you show us a warning from your word, something we should heed. And so, God, I pray that our hearts would be softened towards what you want to say to them tonight as we do look to flee from sexual immorality and pursue your holiness. And so, God, would you be with us as we worship you in spirit and in truth? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we conclude the first half of our sermon series through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul wrote this letter as a word of reproof, primarily against the deep divisions uh, that were in the church at the time uh, and had been reported to him while he was away. Uh, And he helps them. He helps them see the wisdom and the power of God in the gospel. And urges them to prioritize the gospel so that they would find unity in the church. And then after addressing his main concern, then he moves on to tackle some other troubling issues. First, he tackles uh, this, this dispute that came up in the church, um, and uh, actually rebukes the church for their pride, and including in the church a man who was in blatant sexual sin with his stepmother. Uh, and from that, we learned how do we confront other Christians who are in blatant sin. Uh, second, Paul rebukes individuals in the church who were taking their disputes with other Christians to human courts in seeking justice. And in studying that passage last week, we learned how we are to seek justice in the church when it comes to disputes and trivial matters between us. And so tonight, we are set to finish chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians. And in this passage, we will see how and why we are to flee sexual immorality. And so let's look together, uh, starting in verse 12, going to verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20 say this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, But I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. So glorify God in your body. Let me pray for us, uh, gracious heavenly Father. This this text weighs upon us because, Lord, we know what we have taken part in in our past, and so God, I pray that Your gospel will be found just as powerful to us now as it did when we first received it, that, God, you would empower us to live a life pursuing the holiness that has been purchased for us in the blood of Jesus tonight. God, would you bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How are we to flee sexual immorality? That's our topic for the night. And so our sermon title for the night is Fleeing Sexual Immorality. Fleeing Sexual Immorality. How are we to flee from sexual immorality as Paul commands us in this passage? Well, before we implement this command into our Christian walk, we would be helped by seeing how Paul first corrects the church in Corinth when it comes to their sexual ethic. And so tonight, I want to give you three corrections for Corinth's sexual ethic. Three corrections for Corinth's sexual ethic. The first... Right view of Christian liberty. Right view of Christian liberty. Christian liberty has limitations. Christian liberty has limitations. Look again at verse 12 of chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything the Corinthians had a skewed view of their liberty as Christians. Um, You see this phrase, all things are lawful, or maybe in your copy of God's Word, I'm allowed to do anything, or everything is permissible. This was their turn of phrase to excuse their sin. And that is why your Bible has the phrase in quotation marks, right? It's important for us to note that in the original Greek, uh, those punctuation marks aren't in the text. Um, They didn't exist at the time. And our English translations supply those quotation marks to indicate that this was a common slogan among the Corinthians at the time. And do you see what Paul does with it? He nuances the phrase to correct them in their wrong view of Christian liberty. We even sang, I am free, I am free, forever I'm free. And that is so true if we are Bound by the blood of Jesus Christ. If we are adorned in his righteousness. You are free. But that freedom has some limitations, and rightfully so. So, what does that entail? Where, are, where, um, where they were under the, pre, the impression that Christian liberty had no limitations, Paul presents them with at least two. And so, the first is does it edify? Does it edify? Paul makes it quite clear not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. No, you can't just do whatever you want. And to give you one example of how this principle works itself into our our everyday life choices, Paul writes to the Ephesians about their unwholesome speech. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may be may give grace to those who hear. Now, you may say, I'm a grown adult. I can say whatever I want. And you know what? You're right. You are a grown adult. You can say whatever you want. You want to talk bad about someone behind their back? You want to let a GD or a JC fly when you're mad at work? You want to tell someone off? I can't stop you. But I will tell you this. If you want to be a consistent and wise follower of Christ, then you must realize that Christian liberty that you have comes with limitations. The things that you think, say, and do, they must edify. They must build up, not tear down the limited time, energy, and influence we have must be focused on having a positive impact in this world for God's kingdom. We do not have the margin to waste our thoughts, desires, words, or actions on anything else, whether it's idle entertainment or negative engagement. Does it edify? And then second, does it enslave? Does it enslave? Again, Paul presents a clear statement and uses himself as a model. He says, I will not be dominated by anything. He will not be controlled by any person or any substance. And you can really run away with various applications to this biblical truth, can't you? Many questions are answered by this Biblical principle. Is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol, take medication, eat fast food, eat no food, watch Netflix, do CrossFit, play video games, scroll on a phone, and on and on and on? And I think we underestimate the trinkets and tools at the enemy's disposal to distract us from what's most important in life. I'm sure we could all make logical arguments as to why we should be allowed to to enjoy those things. My question to you is, how many of us are presenting a logical argument against them and then weighing them responsibly with the scope of eternity in our minds? or do we just give ourselves over to them? For instance, doctors and counselors are currently and actively making a logical argument against our screen time use, and we still let it run wild, right? We watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, and we keep doing the same old thing, You have to have some idea of what hours and hours of screen time are doing to you mentally, right? You struggle to experience joy in your life because you're hyped up on diluted joy substitutes, whether it's screen time, alcohol, medicinal drugs, greasy food, body image, or endless entertainment. They fall short of what the Lord Jesus has for you in His joy. Christian liberty comes with limitations, and this is a right view for us to have. And you may say, see, I I knew Christianity was just a bunch of rules. But I would remind you of what Jesus Christ says to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commands. You will obey my commands. And what I'll tell you from my experience of applying God's words His commands aren't burdensome. If you love him for who he is and appreciate what he has done for you in the gospel, his commands aren't burdensome. They are life-giving. Praise God. They help us to flourish in all areas of life. And one of those areas is the body, which is what Paul addresses next. And so we find our second correction in Corinth's sexual ethic, right view of the Christian body. Right view of the Christian's body. The Christian's body is not his or her own. The Christian's body is not his or her own. And we see this in the remainder of our passage, verses 13 13 through 20. Within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The body is not merely meant for fulfilling appetites. This is Paul's point here with food and the body. That's what he starts off this. That verse was saying, he says, food is for the stomach, which again is in quotation marks. This was a common saying for the Corinthians to excuse their sexual immorality, right? If the body, the human body has these food appetites, I'm going to fulfill those. And if my body has sexual desires, I'm just going to fulfill those. They thought, what matter does this have for God? He must be indifferent. But Paul is reminding them the bodies of Christians are... One with the resurrected Christ. Therefore, what they do with their bodies is important to him. And so we see the significance of our own bodies. In a matter of eight verses, we see a handful of truths about our own bodies. Your body is for the Lord, your body is destined to be raised. From the dead. Your body is a member of Christ. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity. He lives and dwells there. Your body was purchased at a price. And your body is made for the purpose of glorifying. God, you know what all these truths communicate to us about God? God cares deeply about your body and what you do with it. He's not indifferent. He cares deeply about it. How much? Enough to purchase it with his own blood. That's how much he cares about your body and what you do with it. Our God sent his son Jesus to die a perfect atoning death, making right our sin. And he did so on a Roman cross. His human body was tortured and emptied of its blood. I don't mean to be graphic, but his flesh was ripped to shreds and pierced, For our transgressions. We were bought with a price indeed. And a heavy one at that. Therefore. We are not our own. Imagine with me for the moment. The audacity we have. To feed our bodies with the garbage that we do. The ink we get permanently printed on our skin. The desperate acts we have indulged in for some sense of pleasure. And we do these things and things like them without considering what does it matter to God? And yet, He is still gracious to us even when we have forgotten him. Jesus shed his blood for the inconsiderate. He purchased the glutton, the idolater, the adulterer, all the same. And you may feel weighed down with shame over the choices that you've made in your past. Or perhaps the choices you are still currently making in your mind that assume that your body is your own. And I would just remind you along with Paul, do you not know? He uses this phrase over and over and over again because his audience has shown themselves to be very forgetful of his teachings and the teachings of Christ. Do you not know? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Your body and what you do with it matters deeply to God. And finally, the third correction Paul makes for Corinth's sexual ethic is right view of God's design. Right view of God's design. Sex is designed for marriage between one man and one woman for life. Sex is designed for marriage between one man and one woman for life. Let's read again verses 13 through 20 to see this dynamic. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. flee from sexual immorality every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body All three of these corrections that Paul is giving to the church in Corinth regarding their sexual ethic, all three of them are important. The Corinthians believed they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted without limitation. And because they believed their body was of no importance to God, they viewed sex as merely physical and temporal. And so they degraded their bodies with sexual acts that are outside God's design. Last week, We read that the sexually immoral adulterers and those who practice homosexuality, among others, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of the Corinthians. To put it plainly, sex before or outside of marriage is sin. The Bible word for that is fornication. What does that entail? How close is too close before marriage? I'm going to give you a good rule of thumb that I heard from Jonathan Pakluda. I think it'll be helpful to you. If your body starts preparing itself for sex, it is time for you to say goodnight. That's not scripture, but I think that's wisdom. If your body starts preparing itself for sex, and I won't get into the biology of that, it is time for you to say goodnight. Sex with someone who isn't your spouse is sin. Okay, but I'm not married. Well, look at it this way you are sinning against your future spouse when you indulge in pornography. In fact, the current consequence of that sin is that your future spouse may not even meet your standard because your use of pornography is warping your view of what a potential partner should look and act like. Sin has consequences, and sometimes those consequences happen in real time. Sex with someone of the same sex is sin. In Romans 1... Paul describes both lesbian and male homosexual behavior as unnatural. And this refers to the fixed way of things in creation. And you may hear, but God made me this way. Author Sam Alberry writes in his book, Is God Anti-Gay? He says, Paul's point in Romans chapter 1 is that our nature as we experience it is not natural as God intended it. All of us have desires that are warped as a result of our fallen nature. It is also important to note that according to Paul, as he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write what he writes, tells us that homosexuality isn't inescapable. As he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, and such were some of you talking about the Corinthians who had been saved by the grace of God. And there's a sense in which all of this sexual sin, whether it's fornication, pornography use, adultery, or homosexuality, there's a sense in which which this sin is worse than other sins. It's true, unity with Christ is incompatible with all sin. We see this to be true in Romans chapter six, verse six. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's what Paul says about all sin. And that's true. And yet this is particularly true with sexual sin because sexual union is, has a spiritual component to it, doesn't it? Sex outside of marriage is a unique sin against Christ and one's own body. And the Proverbs bring this out well, as we heard in our scripture reading. I'll read again for you Proverbs 7, verses 21 through 23. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. We know sex has a negative spiritual significance when it is sin because it has a positive spiritual significance when it is enjoyed in marriage. And that's why Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, as God intended his design. In verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's God's design a husband and wife enjoy a two-person union in one flesh that displays the gospel, the good news. Just as a husband holds fast to his wife in the flesh, so it is that God holds fast to his bride, the church. Anything outside those parameters is a disfigured image that does not display the gospel. In fact, it images a form of pride that rebels against God's good design. So what is being commanded of us in light of this passage? Well, I believe using Paul's language here from this passage, our main point for tonight is to glorify God with your body by fleeing sexual immorality. Glorify God with your body by fleeing sexual immorality. We have to have an accurate view of our Christian liberty, our own body, and God's design for sex if we are going to do this well. There is someone in the Bible who did do this well. His name was Joseph. I don't know if you know the story of Joseph. But Joseph was working hard for a man named Potiphar uh, to manage his whole household. And he did a really good job of it uh, when he one day found himself alone with Potiphar's wife. Now, it seems she had been plotting this for some time because Jonathan, I'm sorry, not Jonathan, Joseph was, uh, was handsome. And she grabbed Joseph by the garment and commanded that he lie with her. When Genesis chapter 39 verse 9 tells us the thought that crossed Joseph's mind in this moment of temptation. That thought was how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In a moment of temptation, nobody was around. Potiphar's wife had plotted for this moment. She wanted to lie with this young, handsome man. And the thought that crossed his head was, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he left his garment while it was still in her hand, and he fled that house. Joseph made a point To flee sexual immorality. Do you? Will you? We're coming up on the holidays, which can be a great time to spend with family and friends, but it can also be a lonely and often stressful time for some. As single adults, you may be tempted to entertain lust and act out in sexual ways that would Sin against God and your own bodies. I doubt it's with a prostitute, although I don't put that past any of us. Whether it's premarital sex or pornography, we must flee sexual immorality. We must. I want to give you six ways tonight you can submit your body to the Lordship of Christ and your attempt to prepare yourself to flee well, to flee well. Uh, these are not laws to keep. Uh, these are a means of God's grace to respond to his gospel with purity and victory that has already been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. A right response to the grace of God on your life is that you would pursue the holiness that he has for you to walk in by glorifying him and fleeing sexual immorality. So how do we do that? Well, I want to give you six ways to submit your body to the Lordship of Christ. The first, uh, it's called Anthem. It's an acronym, spells out the word Anthem. And this is a systematic way for you to work through your brain a right response to to negative images or negative thoughts. So we'll just kind of work through that letter by letter. Anthem. First, avoid. As much as is possible and reasonable, the sites and situations that arouse unfitting desire. Avoid. Altogether. that, That requires sacrifice. Maybe you've got to get rid of something in particular. Take something away. That'd be a good and necessary thing to do for this first step. Then say no. It's impossible to all, ra- all out avoid just everything you see. Around. All it takes is one billboard that you see driving down the road. What are you going to do when that thought enters your mind? Well, say no. Right, you've heard it said. You only have five seconds with a thought to, to take it captive to the lordship of Christ. So make a habit of saying No. When that thought enters your mind, then turn, turn the mind forcefully toward Christ as a superior satisfaction, right? Sometimes that's a physical turn, like in real life. But whatever you do, turn your mind toward Christ. Remember the gospel. Be grateful for the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember his superior satisfaction. And then hold, hold the promise and the pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind until it pushes the other images out. And that may look like picturing one of the, the, the I don't know, the, one of the things that Jesus you, you saw Jesus doing in the Gospels that morning as you enjoyed your quiet time with the Lord. But hold fast to what you know is yours, right? The promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so hold fast to those promises. E, enjoy. Enjoy the superior satisfaction. We know that there is superior satisfaction. There is greater joy to be had than any fleeting moment of pleasure. When you submit yourself to the Lord and obey his commands out of a love for him, that leads to a superior satisfaction. So enjoy it. And then this is what we learned from Joseph, move. Move into a useful activity away from idleness and other vulnerable behaviors. You've got to get out. If it's on a device, throw the device away. If it's in a room, get out of that room. If you need to go work out, go work out. If you need to call somebody, call somebody. But you've got to move. Second, confession. Confession. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You've got to find somebody that's not impressed with you and confess to them where you have fallen short from God's glorious standard. And don't just pick anybody. Don't just pick a roommate. Pick somebody who's mature in the faith Because this verse says this person, if they're going to have power, they need to be righteous. And so picture who that righteous person is in your mind that can actually handle you walking through this habitual sin and then confess it to them, trusting that they're going to guide you through it and pray over you that you would, as this promise says, be healed. Third, accountability. Accountability. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says, counsel in a person's heart is deep water, but a person of understanding draws it out. You've probably heard it said, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? There are things we will allow for ourselves to indulge in if it's just up for us, up to us. But when you bring somebody in, maybe it's the same person you confess to, but you bring somebody in to hold you accountable, that's going, they're going to kind of see your blind spots. In fact, when you tell them the behavior, the way that you're acting out, they may even be able to say, "Well, why did you do that? Why do you think you did that?" and get to the reason why, right? Like, like digging water out of a well, they're going to be able to help you with the "why behind it and help you cut it off at the source. Fourth, phone restrictions. James chapter four verse seven says, "Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Oftentimes, we don't even resist. And so what does this look like? Well, maybe it means needs you, needs you having restrictions on your phone, right? If screen time really is a problem for you, giving somebody else your phone and saying, hey, you put the code in, you set the limitations, and you're the one that has the code, so if I ever need it, I come to you, right? That's debilitating. But is your soul worth it? Absolutely Sometimes we just let ourselves go. We think limitations are bad, but as we've seen, Christian liberty has limitations. So would you limit yourself in terms of phone restriction? Fifth, covenant eyes. They get their name from Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman? Covenant eyes is uh, accountability software. Um, so one, they kind of take away easy access two images that you might want to hunt in a moment of desperation. And then they also set up an accountability partnership where that same person maybe you confessed to and asked to hold you accountable would get a report about what you've been engaging in on your device, whatever it is. Maybe it's a smartphone. Maybe it's a a desktop computer. Whatever it is, they will get a report about how you've been acting out that week, and you'll have to give an account for that. That's uncomfortable. It's worth it. Your whole life's not supposed to be comfortable, right? The Lord cares more about your holiness than your happiness. So are you pursuing it with everything you got? Accountability software is going to help. And then the last, the sixth, and probably the most important is scripture memorization. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you meditating, internalizing, memorizing scripture for the sole purpose of fighting off temptation? Of fleeing sexual immorality? If I can just be transparent with you, when this was a difficulty in my life, I remember memorizing Job 31.1. Memorizing Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Memorizing Hebrews 12, 1, and 2. Memorizing 1 Corinthians 10, 13. These are essential to give the Holy Spirit ammunition to fight off the fiery darts of the enemy. So memorize Scripture. It's one thing to write these down. It's another thing entirely to practice them. I'm calling on you to practice them. If this is an area where you struggle, the path to recovery and human flourishing is by way of God's grace available to you through practices like these. God has done everything to purchase you. He has provided victory and purity in the palm of your hands. Would you just grasp it, take hold of it, live by it? That's what he's calling of you. That you would glorify him, make much of him, magnify his glory on this earth so that others can see in your bodies by fleeing sexual immorality. You can do it. You absolutely can.